Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, to worship you, to celebrate you, to celebrate each other. Father, we just pray, God, that you would continue to be, that we rather would continue to be into your presence this morning, Father, that we would continue to seek you with our hearts, with our minds, Father, that you would do as you so choose to do in us and through us this morning. Father, as I decrease, would you increase? It is in Christ Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, excited to be here with you guys as we continue in our series, uh, the eschatological people of God or the church of eschatology, uh, returning the ministry of God uh, back to the people of God. You silly. <laughs> Get her. <laughs> Um, today we're going to be continuing with part two, uh, which is called Abandoning Institutionalism to Embrace the Priesthood of All Believers. Now, just for those who are watching and present and wondering, uh, I, I normally don't look like this, um, unless i got to do something. Um, but I did make a decision today, and I was like, you know what, I woke up this morning, I'm going to throw, I'm going to let the ankle show today. Uh, I'm going to let the ankle show today, you know. I'm going to put a little shirt on today. Uh, and, and here's why. Because last week, last week I talked about um, belonging, right? And I talked about how um, regardless if you wear J's like I am typically got on or sneakers like I typically got on or you dress a different way, the reality is that however you so feel comfortable, however God is calling you to come into this place, you belong just like that, that you don't have to assimilate to a certain style or anything, but whoever God has called you to be, your uniqueness, your personality, we want to be a ministry that is make sure that you understand that regardless of what that is, uh, you belong here. And so I said, I'm going to throw on a little something different, you know what I'm saying? I look out of place today, uh, but I'm going to throw on something a little different. Um, just to help communicate that, listen, it all works here at Reach. You can still, hey, look, I look good either way. You understand? <laughs> but today we are talking about abandoning institutionalism to embrace the priesthood of all believers. And the whole point of this series is to focus on helping the church understand what God's desire for his church is. And what God's desire for his church is, is that we would be an organism. Not that we would be an institution, but that we would be an organism. And if I can be 1,000% honest with you, if I can be 1K with you, yeah, you like that. <laughs> if I can be 1,000 with you, um, as a pastor, I've always struggled with the model of ministry that takes place, that is popular. It's this model that is more of a dependency model. It's this dependency model where the pastor is the priest, which means all the people come to him or her for all the needs of the community, of the ministry, or leadership is seen as the priesthood, which means all the needs of the ministry rest on the backs of those few individuals who may have been called to some type of leadership in the church. And to be honest, and I'm not knocking anything, a little bit I am, but to be honest, the way that older generations have done church has naturally fostered this dependency model, right? Where the congregation is dependent on the pastor for all of their needs. Teach, 
uphold doctrine, be the caregiver, be the public representation of Christ to, to, to the world, uh, uh, be preside over all the rites, baptism, communion, deaths, marriages, Sunday services, be ministry directors, be all the things. So every hospital visit, you ever, you ever pay attention to when everything was shut down, that you who has the spirit, the ability to intercede and pray for your brothers and sisters, hospital said, no, you can't come. We need the pastors. We need the clergy. Right? Because the idea has placed this special ministry call on people who hold an, an office of pastor, an office of clergy. And I've just kind of struggled with this. And I remember early when we were planting the church, and I mean, we were in a stra- the strategic state, and I, Raheem remember this. My wife do too. Anybody that was in the startup team remembers this. Where an individual who was on board with everything that we wanted to do ended up leaving the ministry and actually telling me that I wasn't even a pastor. And the reason this person said that was because I take preaching breaks. <laughs> This person literally felt like because I would not fill the pulpit, teach every Bible study, that that can't possibly be somebody who was called to be a pastor because pastors are supposed to preach all the Sundays and preach all the Bible studies. So imagine, it's definitely not in there. So imagine, (laughs) imagine how a person would feel when you look at my calendar of where I'm slated to preach next year. I'm only slated 28 Sundays out of 52. I'm okay with that. Because it's not about me. It doesn't rest on me. And if I'm the only voice people ever get to hear, and everybody else that feels called to the teaching ministry of the church has to sit down until I'm away on vacation, what does that really communicate about their giftings and their abilities? And I say all that just to share how serious this mindset is that some people have. But ever since we started this ministry, We have been committed as a leadership team to be a church that fosters producers over consumers. We desire to be a people who belong to a community that not only is being fed, but is helping to feed one another. And that's just not on Sunday, but that's every day, right? That's why we have discipleship groups and small groups and fellowships that we do. It's because we believe that we should be in a consistent state of feeding one another, being encouraged by one another, edifying one another. And to be clear, this model is not because I'm lazy and just don't want to be your pastor. Trust me, it's definitely not in the memo for me. Got 50,000 other things to do too. (laughs) But this model is because when I read the Bible, it clearly seems to be the heartbeat of the church, that the people are in the game, not just spectating. They're not just being ministered to, but they are doing the ministering. As your pastor, I want you to grow as, and to be as effective to God as you can be. But that will not happen if you are only dependent on me alone for your growth. And so this is why I'm teaching this series, because it is crucial that we understand what is clearly communicated in the church and the New Testament. And that is this, the ministry and community of God's people are served by the people, not the one person. The ministry and community of God's people are served by the people, not the one person. Also, if you all remember, so because I put it in church center, right? So they're not going to match exactly, but I did put an outline into the resource tab in church center. So you guys always have an outline that you can take home and study on your own afterwards. Um, but, but the idea is that this one person stuff promotes dependency, not growth. 
It makes me or it makes leadership the most important persons in the ministry. But the ministry of God is not dependent on one person or one special group of people called leaders. The ministry of God is interdependent on each other. Interdependent means together. It means that my success is based on you and your success is based on me. Our growth, our sanctification is based on mutual exchanging of the gifts with one another. And I'll address that in three weeks in detail. But, but the point is God gives us all these gifts that there can be a mutual exchanging, that the body may be built up together. And his reason is because he's building the church that he wants to lean on each other for support, for growth, and for encouragement. The community of God should not be ministering, uh, 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 the community of God should not be ministering only to each other through leaders, but we should be all communicating and ministering to each other. And look what Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says. He says, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. And a lot of people use this passage. We hear this passage all the time. Whenever we want to talk about people not coming to church, we quote Hebrews chapter 10, don't be neglecting the gathering, right? It's always talked about as not neglecting the gathering, but nobody has ever, well, that's not true. Not as often do we hear why the author is saying not to neglect the gathering. He's not just saying don't neglect the gathering because he don't want you to miss the Sunday show. He's not saying don't neglect the gathering because he needs an audience to talk to. Me or the worship team needs some people to give us attention and amen us and do our e- and feed our ego. That is not why the author is saying don't neglect the gathering. If that's what he's talking about, then it's understandable why people will hear that and still be like, yeah, whatever. But the author is actually communicating something that is extremely essential if we talk about serving one another. It's not about church attendance, but it's about being present to minister to one another. The author says, let us consider one another. Right? And that Greek word, elion, actually represents mutual exchanging or mutual activity. That's what the word means. So let us consider one another. Let us mutually do the activity of considering one another. What's that mean? It means that ministry to the body is about mutual reciprocity. Ministry to the body is about mutual reciprocity. And that can mean a lot of things, right? That can mean building up of one another, welcoming one another, instructing one another, caring equally for one another, carrying one another's burdens, confessing sins, and then interceding on behalf of one another. All of that, take a picture of it to read those scriptures or go to the outline. But, these are, but, but you got on and on and many, many examples. Because in the New Testament, over 71 times, that phrase is used, the one another phrase. Because the Bible is trying to teach us something that is so important that in order to grow in the Lord, it takes one another. And so the author is saying, don't neglect gathering because in the, it's the one another that happens. It's the mutual exchange that happens. It's not me talking to you that is going to expel or excel your growth. It is me equipping and teaching you guys and then you guys taking what you have learned to get together with one another and pour and edify and encourage and spur one another on. It is not a dependent model of me, but I teach you guys so that you would learn to be interdependent on each other and learn to minister to one another. 
in the Hebrew of authors in context literally says to provoke love and good works. So he says that the body should be mutually taking care of moving people to love, which is the greatest Christian responsibility and obligation. He says it is not my job to help you and communicate and push you and provoke you to love people. He says, no, 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 you guys together should be doing that. Right? And then he says, to good works, which is the manifest evidence of the result of love. And so, and so what he's saying is it's not simply leadership's responsibility to provoke you to live right, to provoke you to be a Christian, to provoke you to make disciples, to encourage you to hold on and keep pressing. It can't be on me. Because if you call me and I'm chilling, you, who, what you got? Right? You see what I got on? Don't call me after the church. (laughs) 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 Happily married. The author places this responsibility on the whole community. And then he says, not to neglect to gather, but instead encouraging one another. And notice that the author combines gathering and one another and says that neglecting together represents neglecting to encourage each other. Right? He's contrasting not gathering with not encouraging. In other words, if we don't see you, if we're not in presence with each other, then somebody's not being encouraged. Somebody's not being edified. Somebody's not being ministered to. Why? Because we'll talk about it in detail in three weeks, but you have a specific gift. Everybody has a ministering gift. And so when you sit at home or when you shy away or when you disappear, guess what happens? That gift is missing from the body. And I don't know what you could be having on you, what the Lord could be saying to you that your presence in the gathering, whether it's Sunday, whether it's Wednesday, whether it's Friday, whether it's laser tag, whatever it is, it is needed. It's not don't miss church so me and the worship team have someone to perform to. It's don't miss gathering because this is where we mutually minister to each other. And so he says we should not neglect it, especially as the day is drawing near. And this speaks to the Lord's day or judgment. And it just means that as as we keep moving towards Christ returning, things are going to be a lot harder to be. It's going to be a lot harder to be a Christian. A lot of people got this weird misconception that the church is going to usher in peace and then Christ's going to come. No, the Bible actually says the absolute opposite. With the presence, you know how people be like, well, if the church is really doing that thing, things won't be that bad. No, that's not true. The Bible is actually very specific. In the age of the church, things will get worse and worse and worse. And then Christ will come. Right? So the church can be as present as we want. Evil will continue to go from worse to worse. And it's going to be harder for the church to stand as a Christian, living in the world, the closer we get to Christ's return. And so what he is saying is, hey, especially because it's hard to be a Christian. It's going to be hard to resist. It's going to be hard to fight. It's going to be hard to stand on the truth when everybody is mocking you, when everybody is lying. And so he says the one thing you don't need to do if you want to be a Christian, if you want to stand firm, is is forsake getting with the people that's going to edify, encourage, and spur you along. Only the body of Christ can build you up. Only the body of Christ can build you up. You can't go nowhere else and be encouraged to live as a believer. The world is not going to encourage you to live as a believer. And if it seems like they are, subtle and crafty serpent they are. 
There's an agenda. There's a motive. But when you come into the church, the only motive is my love for you, wanting to see you be who God has called you to be, see you standing firm. And so my love for you is why I do what I do, and your love for each other is why you must not forsake ministering to your brothers and sisters, not run away from the responsibility of being the church, but being present, being active. And I love what Paul says to the body of believers in Romans 1, 10 through 12. He says this, always asking in my prayers that if it somehow is God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts. That is to strengthen you. That is to be mutually, there's our word again, mutually, encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Okay. Pay attention to this, guys. He's praying to God (laughs) that he would be able to gather with the believers in Rome. He's emphasizing presence because he's been praying for them. They've been praying for him. He's been writing letters. They've been reading his letters. And I am not trying to knock online life. But let me explain to you something. There is not a soul that can go to the scriptures and with good conscience and interpretation convince me that the Bible does not emphasize presence of believers presence of the hey, the letter Paul said hearing about your faith is good you getting my letters is good he says but I'm praying that if it is God's will I can come to you I need to be in your presence and I need to be in your presence so that I may impart and that word impart just means share share some spiritual gifts to you that I may strengthen you I right, the letter's good but it ain't giving you what I need you to get but then he doesn't stop there he says but also Because I need a little something from you, too. He says that we may mutually encourage each other. Because Paul got it. He's going through some stuff himself. He keep getting beat up, persecuted. He's like, yo, I'm encouraging you through my hardship, through my pain. And sometimes I just need to get with you so that you can encourage me as your leader. Okay. But Paul is eager to come to them. And it's not because he wants to just preach to them and be the show. But he wants to receive something from them as well. He wants to encourage them. He wants to minister to them. And he wants to be ministered to by them. We do not neglect gathering because it is the presence of believers that our gifts minister to one another. This is foundational stuff. This ain't some deep revelation that God gave me sitting in the mountains in Tibet somewhere. I ain't even got no passport, so I can't even go there. (laughs) This is just the scriptures. You don't need no crazy interpretation tools to see that the scriptures is very clear about who the ministry of God belongs to. Paul did not view the servant as the body as his responsibility only, rather the responsibility of the body so much that he understood that the body also ministers to him. And I'm, I'm thankful, right? Our leaders, my leadership team, they eventually found out a couple weeks ago. But I got a pastoral care team, and I'm thankful for them. And these ain't people that cook me food and bring me chips and water. <laughs> you do bring some Red Bull to the house sometimes. But <laughs> that's because she extra. But, <laughs> but these individuals are people that I talk to about my deepest thoughts and hurts. 
when I'm going through something, when I'm struggling, when I'm having, when I'm going through leadership pains, these are the people that I talk to and I tell them how I'm really feeling. And they care for my soul. They give me perspective. They minister to me. They encourage me. And that's how it's supposed to work. I edify them. I teach them, right? And then I go to them when I need to be encouraged and to be edified and to be reminded of why I'm doing the stuff that I'm doing. (laughs) Right? That is their ministry. You don't see that on Sunday, but that's ministry. That is them serving me as I serve them. Nobody can encourage the body of Christ but the body of Christ. God set it up this way, right? This is why it's, it's, I can, I'm, I'm just being honest, I'll never, I don't, I'm, I don't beat up, but I, I never understand, right? I never understand how we can go through something and disappear. We can't encourage you that way. If you're going through something and you disappear, we can't encourage you that. We can't do what we're supposed to do for you when you're going through something, which is encourage you, because you didn't disappear. We can't bear burdens with you that way, Right? You sin, who cares? And I mean, not who cares, like we don't care, but meaning we don't care enough that you need to run away from us, right? Instead, come around us that we can intercede and pray and hold you accountable, right? Don't go hide away. I never understand, as believers of Christ, why we are so quick to give all our time to secular things and then limit the spiritual things, limit the time that we spend with our, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I would never understand it. It baffles me. It confuses me. I hear the stuff that people say, and every time they say it, I look at them, and I think in my head, such immaturity when it comes to understanding the purpose of the body of Christ. And that may not even be their fault. We set up systems that make it easy to be like, what's the point? Because nobody is bearing my burdens. Nobody is encouraging me. They do make me feel shameful when I sin. So it's like, then why do I need to be around them? At least the world going to tell me you good. The world will tell you God will forgive you. Wrong type of forgiveness, but they'll tell it to you. So that means if we really want people to understand how important it is, to, then, guys, we got to be different. We got to make people need to be in our presence. We got to make them wake up like, I need to, get, I need to be around my brothers this morning. Because we, do, we, we minister and we pour in and so, man, so much. Paul being despaired to death in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, listen, I was comforted by the coming of Titus. Right? He says, God, the God of all comfort comforted me by sending Titus to me. In other words, he says, the God who comforts us when we are in despair chose to comfort us by sending Titus, a person, presence of a believer. And that is where Paul gathered his comfort from. And so you cannot tell me (coughs) that in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our struggle, that God is not still doing the same thing, saying, I'm sending you to your brother. I'm sending you to your sister. I am am using you as the conduit of my encouragement, the conduit of my comfort, the conduit of my love, the conduit of my my grace. You, believers. Don't, and you should call a pastor and talk to him about the things you've been dealing with. Well, if it, typically when it get that bad, it's already, we, we, we already, we, we bad already. <laughs> typically when I get the call, I'm like, oh, it ain't got that bad, huh? <laughs> right? But no, it's, I'm called Marcina. Marcina prayed with me. Marcina comforted me. And Marcina shared with me. 
That's why I don't I understand what God is trying to do with his church. This is why I just, I can't get with this weird adoptive secular language of not needing the church. I can't get with it. I refuse to accept it. I refuse to believe it. I know some of us are dealing with church hurt. Listen, I'm dealing with leadership pain every day. Every new person that joins this ministry, I have to give myself to with full understanding of the 17 other people who I've given myself to who have walked away without any explanation. I've been, we've been, we ghosted leadership. I've been ghosted without explanation. And then another person comes and guess what I have to do? Not hold you accountable for what they did. I still have to figure out how to love you, how to serve you. Right? And so we all are dealing with hurt from people that are supposed to be believers, but none of us. I don't get to run away and you don't get to run away. Maybe you don't think you need us, but maybe we need you. As the church, our strength, effectiveness, and endurance hinges on being interdependent. It is a collective effort to serve each other and to minister to the world. This is what God desires of his church, that we serve each other. However, 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 for this mindset to take place, there must be a shift. A shift from this institutional model of how we do church to an organism model. Because unfortunately, today's church functions more like an institution than an organism. And I love what Greg Ogden says. He's a guy that I've studied for to understand a lot of things with church after the Reformation, primarily the priesthood of believers. And I love what he says. He says this. Institutionalism views ministry professionally in which ministry happens top down from leadership instead of bottom up from the people. Institutionalism views ministry professionally in which ministry happens top-down from leadership instead of bottom-up from the people. So that means in order to shift from the institutional model of church and to move towards the organism model of the church, we have to move away from any idea that says ministry belongs to its leaders, and we must move to an idea that places it back in the hands of the believers. Listen, listen, leadership is a function in the ministry. It's not the ministry. I am not the ministry. I have a function in the ministry. We are the ministry. <laughs> and some of my colleagues struggle with this because there's a lot of misunderstanding when you start talking like this. Right? When you talk like this, there's a misunderstanding that leads people to believe some things that I'll address right now. That leadership doesn't matter and neither does order. That is, you, you just swung the pendulum way outside the Bible. Teaching everybody that they are important <laughs> and they matter to the ministry it does not mean that order and leadership structure is abandoned, okay? In shifting from institutionalism, we do not abandon leadership structure and order. If you take it there, that's your own heart, not my teaching, right? The body is an organism, and Paul communicates clearly in 1 Corinthians 12 that the church is a body. But even organisms have structural elements. Take the human body. We have the skeletal system, the nervous system, uh, the circulatory system, the digestive system, all of these internal structures that are meant to do what? Support the function, the proper function of the body. In the same way, leadership and order are a part of God's structural elements of the church. They are meant to help support the proper functioning of the body. So we don't do away with leadership and order just because we're saying we're an organism. That is not where we go with this. Right? The organism model of the church ministry should not reject order. Just because we reject institutionalism doesn't mean that our gatherings are just, 
Whatever the spirit is leading you to do. That's what we say, right? Now, how do I know this? Because right after Paul discusses the importance of gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, in 1 Corinthians 13, he addresses the chaos without any order with these gifts. Right? He talks about individuals having these gifts and using them for the wrong purpose, and they just, they trying to edify themselves, not the body. He says, y'all guys are out of control with these gifts. And then he goes into chapter 14, and he gets to the point, he gets said, I'm about to outright just put some structure to how these gifts need to be operating in the gathering. Right? He didn't say, everyone just do as you feel as the Spirit is leading you. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. We're going to push it back that right now. That's not what he said. This is what he said. He actually acknowledges in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, what then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one of you has a hymn. Whenever you come together, he acknowledges every, some, each one of you have a hymn, a teaching, a revelation. We know y'all got something to say. It ain't just me. Y'all came here with something to say, too. That's why they always say don't give them the mic. Because <laughs> we all got something to say, Right? A revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything, though, was done for the building up. He knows we all have something to say. He knows we all have gifts. But when you keep reading, he then says, but let me explain how we're going to operate in these gifts. And he starts to put regulations around how prophecy should take place. He starts to put regulation around how uh, tongues should take place. He starts to put regulation around how prayer, how questions should be taking place in the gathering. Right? And this isn't quenching the spirit. Right? And Paul addresses that misconception, too, in verse 32, because he says that a prophet and spirit, where are we at? Oh, right there. And the prophet's spirit are subject to the prophet, since God is not a God of disorder, but a peace. So just in case, because listen, he just put regulations on prophecy. And so he didn't want anybody to be like, oh, Paul, you quenching me. He like, ah, uh-huh, no. The spirit, the prophet's spirit is subject to the prophet. Why? Because God is not a God of disorder, but order. In other words, the spirit is not going to lead you to be out of order. And you can control yourself and not act like I just couldn't help myself. No, you could. The spirit don't just give you uncontrollable stuff. <laughs> he ain't crazy. Hey, but, but this is what I love about Paul. Because Paul be like, fact check me. By the, the, look, Paul say fact check me. <laughs> but look how Paul said, he didn't say fact check me with the scriptures. In verse 37 he says, so if anyone thinks he is a prophet or a spiritual, he should recognize that what I write is a command of the Lord. He says, fact check me with your spirit. Because if you as spiritual as you say you are, why you can't control your spirit, then your spirit should be letting you know that what I'm saying is of the Lord. Right? Paul said that. All right. <coughs> He's stressing this. As a leader, you silly. He's stressing the importance of the organism. He's stressing how the importance of everybody being involved in the ministry. But then he quickly follows it up with, but we don't need chaos. But here's the thing, though. In order to have order in place, you need leaders within the organism to put it in place. And this is why the most important thing that we should not forget in the organism model of the church is that the organism model of the, of the church ministry should not reject leadership structure. How do we know that? Well, both Paul and Peter, who spoke to the ministry of God belonging to the people of God, also promotes leadership. First, Corinthians, First Timothy 3, 
talks about appointing bishops and elders and office of the church. And look what it says in verse 4 through 5. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? The implication is manage your house, manage God's house. Right. The wording is about managing and caring for God's church, the one that we all belong to ministry. But he says, wait a minute. There's some people that I've called to take care of my house, to put things in order, to manage my house. Peter says the same thing in first Peter five, one through two. I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and witnesses to the suffering of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Do what? Shepherd God's flock among you. Notice again, he's speaking to a specific group of people called to the office of overseer. And then Hebrews, the people that the person, same book that just told us we all should be ministering to each other, says in uh, chapter 13, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them since they watch over your soul as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief. For that would not be for that would be unprofitable for you. The point is simple. Operating as an organism doesn't mean God doesn't have leaders or that you can dishonor leadership saying, well, you know, we all priests. Ain't that what you said, PT? Abandoning institutionalism should not lead to abandoning leadership structure, structure and order we need because God ordained it. So the issue then isn't leadership within the organism. The issue is when leadership becomes so separate from the people and assume the weight of the ministry as a special appointed people to do God's ministry. To be more specifically, the problem is when ministry of the church is primarily to the ordained or official leadership. That's the bigger problem. It's not leadership. It's when leadership is looked at as the ones to do the ministry. There's a difference between functions of leadership and people. But there is no difference between leadership and people as it relates to who does the ministry. Leadership equips. And so the Bible teaches that ministry is in the territory of the body. And that leadership function is to equip you to do the work. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. In a later message, we'll talk about the equipping ministry of leadership. But the point is that the function of leadership is not to bear the weight and responsibility of the ministry, but to equip you to work alongside the ministry, seeing you as equal players in doing ministry. Institutionalism has built this unhealthy divide between the body of Christ, and it shows even how we communicate terms. Too often, I've heard people I was in a meeting, and y'all know I'm like, I'm awkward <clears throat> when people say stuff that ain't right. So I get real awkward. I'm just being like, I get real awkward. You can tell. I'm, so somebody had said something to me, and they was like, yeah, so we sitting at a table with a bunch of people. And they was like, yo, tell us about your, your they was like, yeah, so when, how did you get called into the ministry? I just paused for a little bit. I'm like, you mean like, what's my testimony? <laughs> and they're like, no, like, like, how did you get called into the ministry? And I'm like, you mean like, like when I got, became a Christian? And I knew what they were asking, but I hate the language. Because there's five other people at the table that's not pastors that was also called into the ministry. We only use that type of language when we're talking about pastors. Tell me about your call into the ministry. As if you wasn't called into the ministry when you accepted Christ. 
Like, I, I, and, so, and so then I went around the table and I said, hey, guys, tell me about y'all calling to the ministry. Tell me when you accepted Christ. Because whenever you became a Christian, you was called into the ministry. Because the ministry of God belongs to the people of God. Right? We got to deal with these the way we talk about stuff. I hear people leave their secular jobs and go to church to work, and they say, yeah, I'm going to work in ministry. As if God didn't call you to do ministry in your secular world. Right? Like you don't, you don't, you don't, you, you don't, you don't elevate from the secular to the church as if you, 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 you arrived. You know when you've arrived? When you're as bold in ministry in the church as you are in the secular world. When you talk about Christ as boldly from here as you will in your secular job. That's when I'm looking at you like, oh, you got it. You're doing ministry now. It's easy to tell y'all to live right. Y'all came here to be told to live right. But what about when you're looking at your coworker who hates Jesus? What about when you're looking at your coworker that think your Bible is outdated and regressive? Now you ain't talking no more. But then you get a church job and you, I'm going to do ministry. I, I, I'm different. And so I, I listen to this stuff and I'll be like, if you, this is, this is why one of the things here at leadership, that what we do is, and I, <laughs> silly, and, and, and I'm always saying, and I'm, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, you can't be no leader here if you're not going to talk about Jesus in the world. Because ministry don't start where it's easy. You want to be a leader here? Open up your mind. I want to know who you're talking to about Jesus. I don't want to know about the Christians you keep talking to about Jesus. Tell me who you have shared your faith with that hate Jesus. You may not have been successful, but I want to hear that you tried. <laughs> I don't be successful at all. Some jokers be like, whatever, Tank. I be like, whatever, Tank. You want to... <laughs> Like, whatever, Tank, you want to brew? No, bro. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> keep trying, though. Hey, look, we keep taking them trips to Geneva. <laughs> hey, ministry is serving one another and proclaiming the praises of God to the world. Something we all have been called to. Listen, in my, the rest of my time, let's redefine some terms here. Right? Minister. Minister. That's a good, that's a good word. When we hear the word minister, we typically hear some person that's commonly known as being specially called, this special person called the ministry, honorable among all other people that know the Lord. But biblically, we don't see that. The word just means service. Let's be clear. The word simply means service. You will not find a place in scripture that uses the term minister to speak of a special class of believers. That is institutional thinking. Acts 6-4. I'm going to show you where this comes from. I'm going to show you how institutional thinking wakes its way into our biblical, our, our English translations. Acts 6-4 has been used to speak of this special class of people being ministers because the apostle said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so from that, it became this idea that when you're called into the teaching ministry, you're a minister. That's just bad teaching and bad translations. I'll prove it to you. Acts 6.1. I don't know if y'all can see that, but I'll just read it. It says, in those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there, there was a, a complaint around the Hellenistic Jews, around against the Hebraic Jews, that their widows were being overlooked in the daily dis, 
distribution. You see that word distribution? That's the Greek word dekalonia, which is our Greek word for ministry. Okay, check this out. Go to the go go to the next slide real quick. Let me show you something. <coughs> uh, no, it should be a picture. Go to the next one. Uh, I put it in there. <coughs> you don't see nothing that like, ain't nothing. It ain't show up there. Who deleted it? I just put it in there. Jesus, they gonna tech. Not heard the proclaim. Okay, well I can't show you. Um. All right, I'll just have to tell you. You have to trust me. <laughs> Go back real quick to that other slide. So just trust me here. This word right here, ministry, dekononia, it's the same word that's translated distribution in the English in Acts 6.1. Same word, but in one place they translated ministry, and in another place they translated distribution. You see the problem? Because if they're both the same word, why are we translating it distribution instead of ministry? But then when it comes to teaching, we translate it ministry, right? Because we have, we're so institutionalized that even in our translators' minds, there's a difference. But what this text actually teaches us is that there's two functions of ministry that is happening in Acts 6. It is the distribution of goods. That is ministry, and it's the teaching of the word. That is ministry. Both are ministry, two different functions of the same ministry. My ministry is teaching you the word. But we're all part of the same ministry. I function this way. You may function a different way, and in three weeks we'll talk about that. <coughs> but it's still ministry. It's not distribution. It's service to the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.5 says there are different ministries but the same Lord. Different ministries but the same Lord, and it's connecting it to our service gifts. So it's talking about just different service gifts. There's different ministerial gifts, but it's the same Lord, all meant to serve the same ministry. It isn't a question of being called to ministry. We're all called. This question is about what is your function. You're all ministers functioning in your gifted area. There's another word that gets us jacked up too. Clergy. Right? We hear that. Clergy. Clergy allowed in the hospitals. I can get a lot of places y'all can't get because I'm clergy. I just show my little clergy badge, right? And I just get places. I even don't get tickets sometimes when I show my clergy police badge. <laughs> it was so funny. The other day I accidentally was speeding and um <laughs> and I get I, I really was, because in East Cleveland, I don't know what the speed limit is. And so uh, I got pulled over, and, uh, and I pulled out my wallet. And I, I don't ever, like, just, I just pull it out. Just, you got you to see this to see my ID, because it's like, let me grab my ID. And, um, and so it was the, the lady, she, 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 I don't know, whatever, she took my ID. She's like, all right, you was going 35 and a 25. I was like, okay, I guess. And so, and, um, so it was another guy, though, that was behind her. And so I just give my license. I just sit there normally, right? Other officer comes back. He said, what's that badge you just had? I said, oh, this? He said, oh, okay, I'm training her, but I ain't going to train her on you. Take care. <laughs> <laughs> I 
he's, he's got some, some perks. But the problem, though, is this created this divide because when you hear clergy, there's another word that contrasts the clergy and that's lay members. You have clergy and you have lay members. In other words, you got the special people and then you got the regular people. The clergy are the ones that got this deep spiritual connection to the Lord. And the lay people, they just kind of support what the spiritual people need. That's the, that's the divide. And I've always asked myself, how do we get here? Because the word clergy is kleros, and it just means lots. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in the Bible when they cast lots for choice. That's what the word means. So it's interesting that people call themselves clergy because what they're intention, unintentionally or intentionally saying is we're chosen by God. We're God's possession, his inheritance. That's what we say when we call ourselves clergy. And you lay members, because that means you not. <laughs> right? This is, how do people, okay, fourth century problems, Jerome and them, man, you know, they, they started to play around with these words, started to create these divides, and this is how we get here. But clergy has always been used to speak of the entire body. Example, Colossians 1.12, give thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance, clerios, and the light, who has uh, uh, enabled you to share in the saints' lot, the saints' possession, the saints' inheritance. Who's, what saints? The saints. Who are the saints? Well, it's not Peter and them, like the Catholic Church says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says the saints are what? The body of Christ. So when he used it, when we see this word clergy used in the New Testament, it's always referenced the entire body. Why? Because we are all God's chosen possession. There's no special, okay, I hear you. There's no special people that are God's, spe I specially chose them to be my special God people. But these are these terms that we've used that have created this divide. And then we wonder why you look at us and be like, no, that's what you're supposed to do. You, you, you said that you're special. You said you're the one that's supposed to do the ministry. We're just letting you do what you said you're supposed to do. I'm telling you that ain't what I'm supposed to do. So don't say that to me. I'm saying back to you, no, that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you said to me, I'm going to say it to you. <laughs> we're going to say it to each other. We're going to mutually tell each other what we're supposed to do. We supposed to serve the body of Christ. We supposed to minister to each other. We supposed to encourage each other. We supposed to pick up our phones and call each other. We supposed to come to church. We supposed to give. We supposed to uh, fellowship. We supposed to give people food when they hungry. We supposed to. We. We're going to talk about that one next week, when we, well, in two weeks, when we talk about the, the functions of the priest and how the New Testament priesthood now uh, absorbs this priestly function, but... It's done in a new way, but we'll see all the things that the priests were supposed to do, and we're going to see clearly how we supposed to do this stuff. But historically, the church has always been entrapped in institutionalism, and we're supposed to be a church who understands that we are supposed to be in the game, serving each one and reaching the world. We must fight against these cultural models of the church. We must allow ourselves to go outside our comfort zone. We must set margins to be God's ministers to each other. You'll never do the ministry of God if you don't create margin in your life to be available to be served, to be used by God and to serve. I'm just being honest. If you're not marking out some time to be available for God, you'll never be available for God. If your life, I always tell people, busyness is of the devil. I'm busy. 
because the devil be getting his hooks in me sometimes. <laughs> I'll be having to be like, get off me. I ain't doing that. Right? The reality is busyness is of the devil. Why? Because if he can keep you busy, then you're never available for God. If your schedule is always running up to the minute, then what do you do when you see that person hurting and needing prayer or needing a word? You ain't got time. I got to be in another meeting. Right? If we are going to be ministers of God, we need to start looking at our schedule and saying, where is there time for God to use me? How do I create margin in my life to serve God and to serve my brothers and sisters and also to be served? Because you can't be helped either if you're not available to be helped. You can't, you can't ask me for help, and then every, every time I give you, you'll be like, I'm not available at that time. Well, I can't help you. <laughs> you're going to have to make yourself available to be served as well. All right? This is the type of ministry I'm fighting for. This is why we do discipleship the way we do. Right? We first equip you to know. That's what the know class is about. Not just we want you to be in the class. It's to teach you to know what you know so that then we can release you to go. That when a sister or a brother needs to be discipled, I can point to any one of you and say, yeah, they can do it. They can, they equip to disciple you. Right? It's why we do every member ministry like we're about to do. Right? We could be done with service in 90 minutes and get you out of here. I, it is 1249. I could pray us out, do communion, offering and announcements, and be out of here at 1 o'clock, 90 minutes. And y'all, and, and some of y'all be, will be happy. But what is 30 more minutes in order for us to now turn and be ministers to one another? How much more valuable? How, right? That's what I'm always, when people are always talking to me about, you know, church, people, church kind of long. Why has it got to be short? I don't understand it. I don't understand where you rushing to go to. Back out there? You in that much a hurry to go get beat up. You in that much a hurry to go struggle. You in that much a hurry to be depressed, downtrodden. Right? I'm, I'm in here loving it. I feel good. You know what I do when I go home? Busy. My washing machine broke yesterday. When I go home, that's what I got to deal with. Washing clothes, not at my house. <laughs> I'd much rather hang out with y'all. By the way, if anybody want to come grab my clothes, you know what I'm saying, serve your brother this way. No. <laughs> I think we did all the whites and the personals yesterday. We got that done. But... Uh, <laughs> But leave, but 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 the point is, why are we rushing to get out? I, 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 now, if the if the presence is trash, I get it. We, I'm try, I, I ain't trying to be. I'm got to get up out of here. These people annoy me. And hopefully, that ain't how you feel. Hopefully, you come into this place and you like, yeah, man, like I, I, I love the community. I, what, then why are we rushing to leave this place? I'm not saying 17 hours, but dang, two hours is too long. Just hang out. Here's the thing, because it never is. We, we want service to be over in two hours, but then we're going to still hang around for 30, 40 minutes anyway. So you clearly ain't got that many places to go. You just. <laughs> but when the model of church is sit there and look at me, then yes, man, when we done, I'm tired of watching this movie. So this is why we stop. We, this is why we worship, we teach, and then we turn our chairs and we minister to one another. For about 15 to 20 minutes, we interact with each other so that when we get into this place, we are coming and actually ministering to each other, ministering to one another. The ministry of God belongs to the people of God, and we will, and we will be most effective when we learn 
can you, I don't remember what I said. Can you go to the, <laughs> and we would be most effective <laughs> when we abandon institutionalism and embrace that, turn my iPad off too soon, and embrace that fact, <laughs> right? Listen, guys, I'm going to keep, we're going to be here. Y'all know me. I preach six mess weeks, take a month off, but, but we're going to come right back. We ain't done. We got a lot to talk about. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to slide my wife some scriptures and be like, you up with this one, keep going. Right? We ain't even going to switch it. We staying here. Right? Because we're trying to break culture. Right? We're trying to get, you guys have said this is what church should be, so I'm trying to help us understand how to get there. Right? It's going to be uncomfortable. It's different. It stretches us. You got to think different. You got to answer your phone. You got to be available. Oh. <laughs> right? You got to be present. Ooh. Summertime. But I promise y'all, man, when we figure this out, we will be served better and the world will be know Jesus better because we are going out there understanding our weight, our responsibility to do ministry. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word, to share your truth. Father, I thank you that your word is timeless. God, I thank you that you didn't leave us here trying to figure out how to be your church, God, but you have given us clear instructions on which you expect of us. God, it is my prayer that each of us, each of us, God, would embrace what your word says about the church. And when it's hard, it's hard, and things we got to struggle with, we got to struggle with, God, but that we would fight to be the body of Christ, to be the spiritual house, to be the house of God that you desire us to be. I can't speak for every other local institution, every other local ministry, every other local organization, but this one. This one that you have called me to be a leader of, God, I can speak to this one. And God, help me to continue to foster a culture that resembles your word to the best of our ability, to challenge us, to be the church to the best of our ability. We're going to get it wrong. It's going to be messy sometimes. But God, I just pray that we won't run away from fighting for what you say we should be that we would embrace it and fight to be that church, that eschatological people that embrace that the ministry of God belongs